0: Matthew chapter 21 is where we start this morning as we began our lesson, looking at this discussion that Jesus has with the Pharisees. He's going to continue over the next couple of chapters, and whether this happens over a day or after over a couple of days, it's during that last week of Jesus' life. Imagine this last week. Jesus knows this. Jesus knows the time is coming. Jesus has already come into town and been praised, Hosanna in the highest, and then he went into the temple and he turned over the tables, and then now he's come back to the temple and he's had this discussion with them. And this discussion was, whose authority are you doing this in? Who is it that gives you the authority to flip over these tables? Who is it that gives you the authority to do all of the things that you have been doing? And Jesus asked that simple question back, well, whose authority... Was john's who gave john authority to do what he did and they were afraid to answer it because of the people So jesus begins to tell them parables and he really tells them three We read two of them already, but he gives them three parables The first being the parable of the two sons and in this this parable It's really about how you refuse your opportunity. Yeah, you said you were going to serve god But then you turned around and walked away and didn't do it And so the people who at first said, no, we're not going to serve him. And if you read along, you get the understanding that this would be those who are outside of the Jewish faith, whether because they hadn't lived it or maybe because of the Gentiles, even though he doesn't point out the Gentiles, he simply says, look, those who weren't called at first, they're being called now. They didn't answer the call at first, but now they're coming and they're doing what they should do. So which one's justified? You missed your opportunity. I gave you opportunity, and you refused it. And then he tells the story of the tenants. The tenants, the story of this man who has this vineyard, and he's given it to these people to look after and to tend and to take care of. And when time came, when the harvest came for them to take care of everything, to, for the landowner to get all of his stuff back, he begins to send these people to them, and they abused them and they torture them, and they send them away. And finally, he decides, I'm going to send my only son. What's Jesus talking about? It's it's clear, isn't it? Look, we've been, God's been sending you prophets all along, and you've abused every one of them. God's been trying to take care of you all along, and, and you won't do it. You were supposed to just simply be over his kingdom and, and stewards of his kingdom, and you've been terrible people. In the Old Testament, many times he called them terrible shepherds. They weren't looking after the people. They weren't taking care of the people. And here they were again. And so Jesus is, is trying to get them to see it. Because you notice when he asks those questions, he says, what will the man do to the vine growers? Verse 41, they said to him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. They're going to get what they deserve. And Jesus kind of stands there like, you, you guys know who you're talking about, right? You guys understand what you're talking about because you've done the same thing. So when the priests and the Pharisees heard these parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. They finally had that light bulb go off. Oh, he's talking about us. And when they sought to seize him, verse 46, they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. So then Jesus tells another parable. The third parable, the, the, the second one about the tenants, you neglected and you rejected my authority. So two things about you had opportunity, you had the authority of a father saying, go do this, and you didn't do it. Then you had the authority of this, this man, this landowner who says, go do this, and you neglected and rejected, and we might could add killed, the people who he sent to you. And then there's the wedding feast, and notice what says in verse 2. 2 of or verse 1 of chapter 22. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast and they were unwilling to come. Again he sent out to the slaves saying tell those who had been invited behold I have prepared my dinner my oxen and my fatted livestock and all butchered and everything is ready come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention. And they went their way. One to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. Basically the same story again. I've prepared a wedding feast. I've got all the food ready. Everything is ready for you. I've got everything that you need. Just come to the feast. And they won't come. And he says, not only will they not come, they they make excuses about the other things that are more important to them than this feast. And then they kill the messengers. They kill the people who came to tell them about it. king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. And he said to the slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast." Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all those who they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests, but when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes, and he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And he said, it says he was speechless, but the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into outer darkness in the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen." And that last part seems to be sort of out of character. But what God says is, look, I'm going and I'm calling all these people to the wedding feast. I want them to come in because you rejected me, you Jews, you leaders, you Pharisees, you Sadducees. You rejected me, so I'm calling all these people in. But when you come to the feast, you better be prepared. You better be closed in the right way. It's interesting to me that a little later in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, that, that Paul would say, Galatians 3, 27, to be clothed with Christ. There's the wedding garments. There's what we bring in. That's what we come with, is we come in Him, clothed in Him, letting Christ have all control. And so the wedding feast, He invited them to it. But again, you refused. But those who come must come in me, in Jesus. Let's talk about the people that Jesus is debating with for just a moment. In Matthew chapter 22, as it goes along, he's going to ask and, and be asked questions by the Pharisees. The Pharisees were sort of the middle class, the businessmen. There was about 6,000 of them, and they had really created their, this sect so that they could protect the law. They wanted to protect the law. It was not a, a bad thing originally. They were not intended to do bad things. They wanted to do the right things. They wanted to protect what God had given them. There were some good men who were a part of this sect. Nicodemus who came to jesus at night joseph of arimathea who later takes the body of jesus They were sort of secret disciples, but they were good men They were men who were trying to do the right thing It wasn't a bad thing, but they had taken some bad turns their their name in and of itself means separate God tells us as christians come out and be separate Be different. Live a different kind of life. And so that's who the Pharisees were. They were this middle class group. And then there's the Sadducees. And Jesus is going to get into a discussion with them in Matthew chapter 22. And with them, he begins to talk. And they ask this question trying to trap him. Is uh, this man who's been married, he's been married to different people because someone died. And and so they're trying to trap him. The reason they're trying to trap him is because they don't believe in the resurrection. You know, the song that we sing... uh, Uh, I don't want to be a Sadducee because a Sadducee is Sadducee. The reason they're Sadducee is because there's not a resurrection. That's what they believed. They they believed in the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, the Pentateuch. That's what they believed in. And so they didn't really have a basis for why to believe in uh, the resurrection, to believe in an afterlife, or even to believe in angels. And so they and the Pharisees clashed a lot. Now, the other thing about the Sadducees is that they were sort of a rich... Part of society. They were the, 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 the business people who were, were more on the rich end of things. They also seemed to have a pretty good connection with the Romans. And so it was really the Sadducees who led the temple. The chief priests were from that group. Many of the, the people who worked among the temple were in that group. And when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, the Sadducees sort of disappeared. Because they were all really about this physical nature. So when Jesus is talking to them, the way that he answers them in verse 29, you're mistaken not understanding the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, there will be neither, neither we will neither marry nor given in marriage, but we are like the angels in heaven. So he answers a couple of things. Angels, there is a resurrection. And then he says this, "But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. He says, look, if if you want to argue about the resurrection, when the Old Testament says, I am the God of these people, it doesn't say I was the God of these people. I am the God of these people. He's the God of the living, not of the dead. So Jesus goes through these days Arguing with and trying to help these people understand that there is something coming The sadducees might go well, whatever we do here doesn't matter because there's not anything afterwards He says no, there's a great wedding feast coming No, There's a time when this harvest is going to be coming There's a time when christ is coming back when i'm coming back And i'm gonna take those who are faithful to me And so this is the setting And then jesus begins to deal with them And talk with them, especially, and we're most familiar with chapter 23. And Jesus begins to tell them how they're doing things all wrong. See, these men, the Sadducees, the Scribes, the Pharisees, they all thought that they were the religious elite. They all thought that they had every answer to every question in every way to all the people. And they even argue with each other about who was right about those certain subjects. And Jesus is going to sort of drop the hammer on them in chapter 23 and tell them and tell us in doing so how not to become like them. Don't do these things. And Jesus knows he's going to have a church that's going to be starting in just a few days. He's going to bring about his kingdom the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And Jesus knows that, and so he's setting this stage to help us understand who we are, what we're to be, and how to avoid a church of the elite so that we don't become like them. What does he say to them? Let's look at Matthew chapter 23 for just a moment. Let's read verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things, and they do not do them. In the English Standard Version, it says, They do not practice what? What they preach. You've heard that before, haven't you? Look, they don't even practice what they preach. And what Jesus says is, what they're teaching you isn't all that bad. It was intended for good things. They wanted to protect God's Word. They wanted to do the right things. What they were teaching, sometimes at least, was not all that wrong. Do what they tell you to do, but please Don't do it the way that they tell you to do it or the way that they do it. You know, what he's telling us as a church is practice what you preach. Skip down just a little bit to verse 13 for a moment. We're going to come back to to that section verse 13, but woe to you. He gives these eight woes throughout Matthew chapter 23. I'm sure you've heard them before. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of God from people, for you do not enter it yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for pretense you make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and and to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice the son of hell as yourselves, you blind gods. Woe to you, blind gods, who say whoever swears by the temple it's nothing. Whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools and blind. Which is more important, the gold or the temple that sacrificed the gold, the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that's nothing, but whoever swears by the offering on it, he's obligated, you blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar, swears by both the altar and everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple, swears by both the temple and all the thing in him who dwells within it. And whoever swears by heaven, swears by both the throne of God and by him who sits on it. He goes through all that to simply say, you guys aren't practicing what you preach. You're blind guides. If you go back to Matthew chapter 7, you remember how he talks about the beam that's in your eye? You're trying to take a speck out of someone else's eye and you've got this log that's sticking out of your own eye? He says, you're blind guides. You can't see to help other people because you're not doing what you say to do. You're not living the way that you are calling other people to live. You're not being people who practice what you're preaching. And so as a church, many people... Look at the church on the outside. as a bunch of people who preach about stuff, but they don't really do what they preach. We talk a lot about reaching out to others, and I'm going to talk to myself for a minute. I'm going to step on my own toes, okay? So I'm not just stepping on yours. We talk about reaching people, about making disciples, and then we don't do it. How many people have you... And I'm, I'm talking to myself still. How many people from outside of the church have you brought to Christ? Have you baptized in Christ? How many people? In the last week? Month? Year? Let's just be honest. Are we practicing what we preach? Are we practicing to live holy lives, lives that are different, lives that stand out. We talk about it, but do we practice it? Are we doing it? Let's all examine ourselves and think about that as a church. We, people look at it and go, you guys just think that you're better than everyone else. So we've got to practice. We've got to do what we've been called to do. Romans chapter 12 is one of those great places where Paul talks about practicing hospitality, serving one another, not letting uh, ourselves be overcome by evil, but overcoming evil with good. He goes through all those things. And he says, these are the ways that you practice your holiness. These are the ways that you practice your righteousness. These are the ways that you practice living and being like Jesus Christ. And then he tells these Pharisees in chapter 23 In verse 5, but they do all their deeds to be seen by men. Verse 5. For they broaden their phylacteries, these scripture boxes, and lengthen the tassels of their garments. And they love the place of honor at banquets and chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not let anyone on earth be called your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. He he, he says, look, I, I don't want you to do things to be seen by people. That's the other thing. Do we just do things to be seen or do we do things to glorify God? You see, in Matthew chapter 23, a little later in verse 25, he says, You got, or, yeah, starting in verse 25, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, and dish, sorry, but they are full of robbery and indulgence inside. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, and the outside will become clean also. Woe to you! You are like whitewashed tombs, appear beautiful. But on the inside, what's a tomb full of? Dead men's bones. You look good. We doll up, don't we? We put on our ties and our coats and we put on our dresses. We appear good. But what about our inside? What about the way that we live our lives? See, the Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes, they look good. But he says, don't just... Do things to be seen. Don't, don't just be a Christian to be seen walking in the door. Hey, like I've checked off my box. I've, I've done everything I need to do. I've lived. I, I, I've kind of done my Sunday the way that I'm supposed to do my Sunday. I've checked that box off. Don't do things just to be seen by men. Do things because it's the right thing to do. Do things because it's the way that God has called us to be. Do things because you know that God is the one who's watching you. Matthew chapter 6 and the verse. Verses 1 through 4, he talks about when you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you uh, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Don't do things to be seen by people. Do things because it's the way that you're honoring God and you love God. Why do you do what you do? Why are you here this morning? Are you here because you love God? Are you here because he's number one? Are you here to be comfortable? I don't I don't know. You you have to answer that for yourself. Why are you here? Be here because you love God. Matthew or Colossians chapter 3 talks about that. He's talking to servants. He's talking to slaves, but in that context he says, look, don't just serve your masters. We could say don't just serve your bosses at work. But everything you do for your boss and everything we could say you do in your marriage and everything that you do in your relationships, do those things as if you're doing it towards God, because you are. Because it's Him you serve. And when you treat people, Jesus said, those people who are hungry and thirsty and naked and a stranger and sick and in prison, that you go and you take care of, you're doing those things to Him. So instead of just doing things to be seen, understand that why you're doing those things is because you're doing them for God. Notice the great paradox that he gives here in verse 11. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. So whoever humbles himself or exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Understand this great paradox. The greatest shall be the least. When we try to throw ourselves up there as being the greatest, we're told on and on and on, over and over and over again through scriptures that that's not not how we become the greatest. Jesus taught us how to become the greatest is that you get down on your knees and you wash the feet of people. He went on the day that he was going to the cross, he got down on his knees and he washed people's feet. He washed the feet of the man who was gonna betray him. He washed the feet of the man who was going to deny him. He served. See, the ones who try to boast themselves as the greatest, by the way, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, were going to be the least. But those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus, Paul tells us to be like Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Jesus came and he died and he says, now I want you to put other people's needs before your own. If we want to be the church that's the true church, the church that's like Jesus, it's not about telling people what to do. It's about showing people and helping people and loving people. And when they see us do those things, then they'll follow us. That's what Jesus did. Jesus did things, and his disciples followed. Jesus acted in a certain way, and his disciples followed. Jesus spoke in a certain way, and his disciples followed. That's what they were. They were followers. They were learners. And he tells us to make those disciples too, not to force people to do what they're supposed to do, but to show people what they're supposed to do. That's the church. That's what we're supposed to be. And then he says this when he gets to the end, and of course all these woes sort of fit in with all of those things. Because he says, you've adorned these temples for, or these places for the prophets, but you killed them when they came here. You didn't do what you said you were going to do. You make yourself out to be the greatest, but you abused these people and you killed these people who tried to tell you the right thing to do. So don't boast about being the greatest because you haven't listened to the authority of God. That goes all the way back to chapter 21 and chapter 22. You haven't really done what you've been called to do. And he ends with this. In verse 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets, and stones those who were sent to her. You remember the the parables? All three of them, the people who were sent, were stoned, were killed, were taken away. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. So behold, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you from now on, You'll not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The last message that he gives them is I wanted to gather you under my wings. Let God take your life. That's what he's saying. Let God have your con- the control of your life. He says, Look, I've, I've, I've sent my people, I've sent my prophets. I've sent my teachers, I've sent my son, Jerusalem, I wanted to gather you up like, like a, a hen gathers her chicks. I wanted to bring you in. but it was you that was unwilling, not me. I gave you opportunity. In First John chapter one, he tells us, we come and confess our sins. He's willing. He wants to forgive us of our sins. Jesus talks about and Peter talks about casting our cares on him because he cares for us in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. Bring him your life. I I don't know if it's burdens that you have in your life that you need to bring and lay at his feet, but he wants to gather you in. I don't know if it's sins that you have in your life that you need to lay at his feet, but he wants to gather you in. He's ready to take you and to bring you to the place that He wants you to be. And then I think right here in your heart that you want to be. And as they were unwilling, He calls for us to be willing. Are you willing to let Christ have control? Christ alone, cornerstone. That's who He is. And that's what he wants to be in our lives. Are you ready to give your life to Christ alone? If you are, won't you come as we stand and as we sing?